VISA with the Yale Initiative for the Interdisciplinary Study of Antisemitism. And we're the first and only research center on antisemitism at a university in North America. Uh, perhaps one day we'll be a topic of research. Um, today, as you know, it's been actually a full day at ISA. We had some scholars from Berlin who were here who are running a, a non-governmental organization that does research and actually work in areas of anti-Semitism and racism and neo-Nazism in Germany, uh, which was interesting. And then we went to hear Judge Richard Goldstone, who spoke about uh, issues of international law, crimes against humanity, etc., which people read the Goldstone report. You know what I've been speaking about. And today we're going to show a film called The Battle of Durban, or Durban II. And it's, there's sort of an auspicious uh, connection. Today is actually Holocaust Memorial Day uh, in Europe and around the world, in certain parts of the world. Uh, today, uh, Netanyahu was in Auschwitz speaking. Shimon Peres was in the Bundestag speaking. He actually said Kaddish in the, the prayer for the mourners in the Bundestag. And so it's an auspicious moment to see this film. And what's also interesting, when we were in Geneva, I was actually in Geneva as well, when the film was being made. And I spoke on two, uh, two panels. One was dealing with issues of racism, and the other one was dealing with uh, genocide. And uh, very quickly, because I'll speak to this after the film, uh, the panel consisted of uh, people from, uh, from Bosnia, from Rwanda, so this is uh, genocides in the past, from Darfur, which was the ongoing genocide, and I spoke about incitement to genocide, i.e. Iran and uh, radical Islam, the spreading of the protocols of the elders of Zion, and the sort of genocidal social movement which aims to destroy Jewish self-determination in the Middle East, which is uh, highly uh, ignored in the academy here. Uh, and particularly in certain circles. Um, so what was interesting about that day, I spoke uh, about one hour before Ahmadinejad took to the General Assembly at the United Nations, and when he spoke, it was actually Yom HaShoah, the, the day of uh, Holocaust remembrance uh, in Europe as well. And it was amazing that the, the institutions of the United Nations and the laws of the United Nations, which came from the ashes of the Holocaust, which were born out of the Shoah, that Europe has decided that this will never happen again, that this was the day Ahmadinejad came to speak to the United Nations and spoke in the narrative. And I would urge anybody to go to YouTube and listen to how he speaks in the United Nations. The narrative that he uses is the narrative of the Protocols of the Elders of Zion. And the Protocols of the Elders of Zion was the key document, the key ideological document that paved the way to the Holocaust. And the Holocaust didn't begin in Auschwitz or in the concentration camps or the crematoriums. They were built, the crematoriums were built with words and ideas. And the words and ideas, and I know I'm not using this rhetorically or lightly, I'm being very, very serious and very, choosing my words very carefully, that Ahmadinejad and political radical Islam, not Islam, but political radical Islam, is using the protocols of the Elders of Zion, the narrative, to lay the foundation for the dehumanization of Israelis and Zionists and Jews and anybody who supports them. And so there's all sorts of connections to this day. So having said all that, and thank you for listening, The Battle of Durban II is a, it's a relatively new film. It just came on the market. I know that uh, you were at 
Sundance, another film festival. So Gerald uh, Barad is one of the one of the film makers. Um, Gerald is uh, the principal of Second Generations Films, an independent film production funding company. He's produced films such as Loverboy, which was directed by Kevin Bacon and which starred Kira Cedric, Matt Dillon, Oliver Platt, Kevin Bacon again. Uh, so it was directed by Kevin Bacon, which starred Kevin Bacon, yeah. and Sandra Bullock. Uh, he was the co executive producer of Prey for Rock and Roll, starring Gina Gerson and Kira Eric Foreman is a filmmaker, a documentary filmmaker, producer, and shooter. That means what's a shooter? Uh, but yeah, I'm okay. shoot. I'm the camera. Okay, the camera. Okay. And he's the founder of Foreman Films, which was created in 2006. And he's currently directing his first feature film entitled Actual Innocence. He was previously associate, the associate producer and assistant editor at Amplisa Productions, a world film entitled Young and the Restless in China which was on PBS's Frontline uh, television show series, and was the coordinating producer of Global Vision's Barack Obama, The People's President. Um, and he went to Boston University and has won awards and has also written widely. So they're gonna say a few words about the film, then we'll show it, and then we can have a discussion. And I, and I think we're, it's small enough and intimate you, if you wanna eat while we watch, feel free to make yourself at home. I'm really honored that you're both here. So thank you very much for having us. Unfortunately, the film's director, Rory O'Connor, had uh, death in the family, so he was unable to make it this evening. But uh, Eric and I want to thank um, Lauren, Dr. Small, for having us here, and we appreciate your attendance to the screening. Um, this is a very complicated topic with lots of different opinions, and um, we really tried hard to make a film that's very balanced. And it was our intention to show all the different sides of the issues and let the audience come to your own conclusion about how you view things. Um, and that was really the challenge of the film, to make it interesting. It's very dense, but it really gives the audience the opportunity to see everybody's opinion. And these days, it seems like so much of the media has a particular political viewpoint or spin we really didn't want to make a film that only plays to one audience. We wanted to make a film that challenges your views, that makes you see the other side. And we hope we succeeded. And I guess we'll find out after the film is over. But we look forward to hearing your feedback. Thanks again. Yeah. It's, uh, it's 80 minutes. Just the, the link. And you have an introduction about what we're going to see? Or what the UN held a series of conferences to address racism and intolerance. The first one was in 2001 in Durban, South Africa. And uh, um, then they had a follow-up conference, which uh, we spoke about in Geneva in April, to assess the progress that had been made since the first conference. So it basically is the story of these two conferences. And, and I think just as a footnote, uh, the original uh, Durban conference was in Durban, South Africa in 2001. And it became, uh, it was supposed to be a conference focusing on issues of racism and uh, different forms of discrimination. And it, from uh, the perspective of some, it became a, um, an orgy of um, attacks against 
the Israelis and Jews was, became very anti-Semitic and went anti-Israel. For Durban too, there was the expectations that it would become another uh, re repeat of 2001 when um, resolutions were passed uh, equating Zionism with racism and Zionism with Nazism, particularly in the NGO uh, meetings in Durban, South Africa in 2001, and people thought it would become something similar. And it really, I think to a large extent, did not. Uh, You're telling all the best parts of the oh, sorry. <laughs> right. Let's watch the we really would love you to watch it first. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So that's sort of the background to these issues. Yes. Including remarks in two or three minutes. Bear with me and then we can speak to the filmmakers. Um, I think having been there, there's some uh, issues. I thought it was a great film. And you captured very well and, and the issues well, so congratulations. That's uh, the first issue. Um, uh, just two very quick points. I think my only sort of comment, I hope there isn't. Um, an equality place to the Palestinians where the conflict. I think at one level there's a conflict over a two-state solution over land and territory. On the other hand, excuse me, on the other hand, um, there is a rise of radical Islam, which obviously as Dinajad uh, portrays. And when when NGOs and people speak about Israel as an apartheid state or a Nazi state, it has to be understood that if Israel is an apartheid state, if Israel is a Nazi state, what we do with apartheid in Nazi states is to dismantle it. And that the fact that at least groups like Hamas, Hezbollah, and Iran, and others cannot uh, religious, on a religious basis, on an ideological basis, permit other non-Muslims to have self-determination on what they consider to be Islamic land, I think uh, puts the issue into a certain context that we must address. And what also sort of resonated for me, I was the chairperson of the African National Congress Solidarity Committee of Canada. I was invited to South Africa by the ANC on two occasions and was proud to be a part of the anti-apartheid struggle. And the reason why I felt very not only comfortable but uh, I think honored to be part of the struggle is that when you read the South African Freedom Charter, and I will take you a few minutes, you should read it, the South African Freedom Charter, which united the anti-apartheid movement and the anti-apartheid organizations to fight and dismantle the apartheid state and system was a, in broad terms, a social democratic uh, document. That it believed in social democracy, it believed in equality of all citizens under the same law. And as a Canadian, as a Jew, as uh, however I identify myself with, it's something that I felt very strongly about and, and committed to. Please read the Hamas Charter. Please read. <laughs> The, the ideology of Hezbollah, Hamas, Iran, and other organizations that literally, literally call for the killing of Jews in their constitutions. And for people to say that Israel is an apartheid racist state, or it's a racist state, and, and to frame it in sort of this sort of relativist Palestinian versus Israeli conflict, I think is extraordinary and misleading. And we really need to put things into context. On a positive note, and uh, just briefly, which I don't think was really captured in the film, for the first time in the struggle against the so-called so new anti-Semitism, at the Geneva conference, it was amazing that there were hundreds of Jewish, young Jewish people from Israel, from all over Europe, and a few from North America, working with people from Rwanda, Darfur, from Berbers from North Africa, uh, women's organizations, gay organizations. There was a coalition of people that emerged that were, and I'm sure you, you experienced it, 
that I think and I hope is a spark to fight against not Islam, but radical political Islam that is jeopardizing uh, not just the Jewish people in the state of Israel, but even more of its victims are Muslims in many Muslim societies. And there was a spark in Geneva, and it was amazing to be a part of that, that I think maybe birth of some networking and, and contacts between different organizations that is continuing, I think, to see the building. So that was on the positive side. So those are my only comments, and you guys should come down and take questions or comments. Sure, something you want, you want to say or take, take questions? Yeah. Please, people feel free. Right ahead. Yeah, I thought that the uh, film uh, failed in presenting. I think the film failed in presenting the true uh, happening at Darfur. There may have been anti-Semitism, and this, there was anti-Semitism, there was Zionism, but what in effect you had here? Well, those countries who are committing the worst human rights violations are using Israel as the cover for their own uh, uh, crimes. And that wasn't brought out strong enough in this film. And also, the fact that the UN is worthless today, when it first started, uh, there were 51 nations, most of whom were democracies, now you have countries like China and Darfur and Sudan, etc., telling democratic countries that they're committing human rights when if you take a look at Tibet and you take a look at these other countries, uh, Sudan, Darfur, etc., uh, even if you take uh, Syria who killed by uh, 80,000 people or uh, Hussein who killed 180,000 people and even uh, Jordan that killed, what, 10,000 uh, Palestinians? Nobody mentions this, and it's just not raised in this film. Really? I thought that issue was actually we should, uh, kind of addressed uh, in a few different places where Alan Dershowitz said they want to change the subject. You know, there were a number of occasions where I thought the director actually addressed it, maybe not as strong as you would wish, but... Yeah, that's what I'm saying. It wasn't as strong as I wish. Also, there was one hour in the uh, narrator. The narrator said that Israel uh, invaded, attacked uh, Palestine. There was no Palestine. They attacked Gaza. Right, we knew we were taking risks by making the movie. This is a very, very heated, heated subject. And what we hope to use it for is to get, you know, both sides, you know, all sides of the debate, debate to be communicating and to be in the same room together, if at all possible, and expressing themselves to each other. I have one more thing. Questions for you, Mr. Small. Uh, Mary Robinson was the High Commissioner of Darfur One, and she also was responsible for the document that went out. Durban One. I'm sorry. Mm -hmm. Durban. And one of the first things that uh, President Obama did was to award her the Freedom Medal. What kind of message does that send? A problematic one. <laughs> Second, those, those comments very strongly. Um, I think by going more behind the scenes and um, looking at you know what's going on worldwide as background to these conferences, um, a more you know realistic story could have been told. For example, Robert Mugabe. I, I spent ten years in South Africa and saw you know from the the, the breakdown in Zimbabwe. Um, you know, new 
constantly, you know, what was um, going on there because we had quite a number of Quaker organizations there trying to um, function. And Robert Mugabe, he's he's a prime example, you know, he's he's a vicious anti-Semite, you know, he wishes that Hitler had succeeded. Um, he, he thunders about the Palestinian problem. And um, one human rights organization, um, you know, did a study and um, found that um, one in five people in Zimbabwe had been, had been tortured, had been physically abused by the regime. I mean, can you imagine that statistic? And, and living there or living, you know, or having your friends um, and co-religionists working there, you know, trying to to build up that economy and to build up civil rights in that in that country, and to know that they're constantly being harassed, some are kidnapped, some are raped, some are shot, and his covers the Palestinian uh, Israel. It's just, I mean, the outrage of, of it was, I think, not. Um, sufficiently covered on this film. Yeah. Okay, I thought a lot of that was kind of addressed in the the second conference, not the Israel Review, the, the second conference. The Geneva Summit. The Geneva Summit. There was actually somebody from who spoke, and then there was a woman from Iran talking about human rights abuses in Iran. I think, you know, we have to make choices just because you only have so much time, and the yeah. film is incredibly dense as it is, and we also to try to keep it visually interesting. So I yeah. think the director had to make certain choices as to how deeply to get into every issue. Yeah, but I think the full absurdity can, can really be heard from the dictator's mouth. And I would have liked to hear something of Mugabe's yeah. many statements on this issue. Um, I thought you did a phenomenal job with the film. I'm a junior political science major. I thought I was pretty well informed. And I had no idea the extent to which German one was hijacked by professors on the streets and people screaming the anti-Semitic, anti-Zionist brands. I think it did do a good job of conveying the fact that, you know, this obsession with every move Israel makes is really impeding the international community's ability to address issues of true import, like in Iran and in Darfur. And I think, you know, just like having the captions and the, the subtitles showing when, like, the Syrians and Iranians and um, uh, others were speaking and kind of showing how critical they were being was very powerful. Um, this is uh, director, uh, Professor Small. Um, the notion that Israel is, is an apartheid state, um, can you, I mean, Jimmy Carter wrote a book several years ago, maybe not claim. Can you explain, I mean, it must have, I mean, there must be some argument that says that. So could you explain the argument that claims that and then refute it? You want me to explain why Israel is claimed by some people as being an apartheid state? Right. What is what is the basis, for example, that? So I, I don't want okay, to. I, I don't want to give a whole lecture on this, and I don't want to fucking film it. Uh, <laughs> because I really felt that one of the things the film. I mean, you, you can't have everything in the film, but somebody has an educational school. Um, somebody might not. You just hear all these slogans over and over again without really knowing what they mean. Which, just to preface the, the explanation, is what most people experience. It's just slogans. They don't really realize the meaning behind like the word Well, the film doesn't help that. But that wasn't your <laughs> name in the film. Right. I think the film actually 
yeah. helps a lot putting light on what's yeah. going on. It's a, it's a very important, I would say, global movement of dehumanizing and delegitimizing Israelis, Israel, and the Zionist enterprise. And to call an entity uh, an apartheid entity or a Nazi entity, as I was saying earlier, it, it ultimately, if it is an apartheid state, if it is a Nazi state, you have to dismantle it. And the people who are claiming that Israel is an apartheid state or a Nazi state have as, in its agenda to dismantle the state of Israel and to destroy it. No, but do our, uh, so are the second-class citizens, are our Palestinian okay. second-class citizens, uh, so do they not have rights? That's another question. So if, if you want to talk, so Israel is a social democracy. Everybody has the right to vote. Everybody, uh, you know, the Muslim Brotherhood is in the, in the Knesset. There's many parties and many representations. Now, is there inequalities and contradictions in Israeli society? Of course there is. But to say that it's an apartheid state is you know, factually incorrect and it's not a Nazi state. It's a social democracy with problems and contradictions. Just like perhaps, you know, New Haven. You know, the, the fact is in New Haven, um, the majority of people in New Haven do not have proper health care. The disparities in education. New Haven has a literacy rate of less than 25% with Yale University in the middle. But nobody's talking about it, you know, New Haven as being an apartheid state or destroying uh, New Haven. So we have to understand the ideology of those people, I think, pushing um, the delegitimization of Israel. Of course, it's not an apartheid state. Um, so, but, but I think it's very important to, to put this into context and to see who's behind this sort of propaganda war in trying to destroy the only imperfect democracy in the region and why, why they're doing it. And on, on, a note, on one more note, I'm, I'm gonna have to excuse myself because I'm actually late for an important meeting. And uh, but so thank you and please continue to, to discuss and more and more. Thank you, yes. Just one, one quick statement on that is, uh, you know, what you realize is so much of this isn't about the truth, it's about who's controlling public relations and who's controlling the dialogue. So it almost, you know, which is fascinating, you know, whereas many people would ask, is it apartheid, is it not? It almost doesn't, it's about who can get, you know, the word on the radio waves and who can get the word printed on the papers and kind of have it echo through the to come the dialogue. And I also think it was important for us to show that the Palestinian people are suffering. They're human beings. They deserve relief. Nobody's denying their humanity. They're denying the fact that we'd all like to see the situation resolved. And it was important for us to say that as well. And a technical question. Were you denied access to many parts of the Durban II, and how did that affect you? Well, we, had, we were accredited. I mean, the, the UN was very nervous. You know, with, especially with all this heated buildup, countries deciding whether to attend, not to attend, whether to let the media in, especially with cameras. They were watching what we were doing, you know, and uh, as they be, you know, grew to trust us, you know, started granting us interviews with people actually within the Secretariat, Department of Public Information, etc. But, you know, they would, so there was the main conference in the main room, and then there was these side events kind of down the hall. They didn't want us in the side events for whatever reason than they did. It was it was tense. It was definitely a struggle. You know, there were certain did you have to negotiate with many of your access much of your access? Or was it if you could get in, you could get in? Yeah, complete negotiation. Yeah. At all there was security. Yeah. You know, some people we had to like ambush the Iranian diplomat 
he chased them for right. days and literally just grabbed them when he couldn't, you know, right. couldn't get away. Because you want to talk to, so you wanted to see, talk to as many people as possible. But some people were reluctant. Talking. They see cameras. They wonder what your agenda is. And so there was definitely some reluctance. Someone like the there was a Boyarsky woman. She she looked like she had a desire for stardom in this. Was in other words, did someone like such as her volunteer herself for her views on things, or was that or is she a I, mean, I don't want to use the word accredited representative, but sort of a, a well-known representative of her views. She was not easy to get. <laughs> Even though it may seem like she really enjoyed it, she was not easy for us to get on film. But she is she's known in UN circles being a very severe critic of the United States. I just heard you say that the Palestinians, nobody who knows that the Palestinians are suffering. Why are they suffering? Who's, who's causing this suffering? There's a lot of different <laughs> Why are they suffering? Yeah, why are they suffering? Yeah, they're denied it. You know, checkpoints in and out of Israel are you know, are hard to deal with on a daily basis. Yeah. So you know, there's many well, that they're suffering. They're human beings. Right. And Thank you for that. We'd like to see their suffering relief. Right. You know. And we'll, you know, we'll take a couple more questions. I also, you know, if you enjoy it, if you didn't enjoy it, you know, please like write about, you know, your your criticism, criticisms of it, you know, join us on the website, on Facebook, thebattleofdurban2.com. Um, you know, if you're interested in this type of dialogue and increasing this type of dialogue, you know, please help us. We're just trying to gain some momentum in this film. It's not for everybody, but uh, we're hoping to give you some education. Any other questions? I can just say one thing. Before you leave, if you could please sign or sign up. If you just want to have attendance or not living, if you want emails, that's fine. Right. But we just would like to have this as a signage. Right. I can also think this is the uh, company who made the film called Global Vision and Second Generation Films. If you want to get in touch with the company, ask any more questions, well, we thank you for coming. We thank you for bringing your film to YISA, and we hope you enjoyed it.